Uh, I'm going to read to you a passage from the book of Acts in the New Testament. If you have a Bible with you and want to follow on, the book of Acts and chapter 8. Read from verse 27, Acts chapter 8, verse 27. Philip arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candice, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him. And heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shear, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus and as they went on their way, they came onto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Uh, one of the things that I love about the Christian gospel is this, that it's not a message of mere theory. Uh, it's not just dry, dead theology. But rather, this is something that is living. It's something that's powerful. It's something that transforms the lives of real people. Uh, it has done for centuries. It is doing today. Uh, you likely know people whose lives have been powerfully, positively, permanently transformed. Uh, not through religion, uh, not through therapy, but through the message of the gospel. Uh, and uh, you know that it has made a real difference in their lives. This is something atheism can't explain. Uh, this is something evolution can't account for. This is something religion cannot offer. Uh, what is the explanation for this? So many lives changed across the world, throughout history. What's the explanation? The explanation is uh, that the gospel is what the Bible says it is. 
It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And uh, so I, I love to hear stories about how people uh, came to Christ, how people were saved. I love to hear those stories. I love to read those stories. And we've read one here this evening. This is uh, the story of the conversion of this Ethiopian official. It's really the testimony of a treasurer. This was the man who had uh, the authority over all the treasure of Ethiopia. And as I thought about this man's story of conversion, I thought really it revolves around three types of, of treasure. And I want to think about that then this evening. The first thing I want us to think about, I'm calling this the treasure of silver. Uh, that is the, the treasure of money, this man's money. This was a man who was rich, obviously, a man who was powerful, a man who had climbed to the very top of the ladder. And uh, really, he had all that this world could offer in terms of financial security and power and prestige. There he was, right at the very top, a successful, respected and yet, despite all that, this man was searching. This man was on a quest. This man was empty. Uh, he, was, uh, he, he wasn't satisfied, obviously. He'd taken himself up to Jerusalem on a quest, on a mission, on a search. Because even though he had all of this money and all of this power, the fact is there was still an emptiness within him. And all that he had hadn't filled his heart. And uh, there are many people, uh, many people before him, many people since him who, who tell the same story and bear witness to this fact that the human heart is too big for this world to fill. Uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon, who must have been, uh, if not the richest, one of the richest men in the world, and lived in the lap of luxury and had uh, everything that the world could offer. And what Solomon says there in Ecclesiastes is this. He says, all the rivers run into the sea, and yet the sea is not full. And he's saying that's just like the human heart. He says the eye isn't satisfied with seeing, nor the ear with hearing. He says no matter what you get in this world, you're still left feeling empty. Why is that? Well, the Bible tells us why that is. You see, we've been created by God. And we've been created for God. And so we can never know true satisfaction unless and until we are in a right relationship with God. See, we're created for something far bigger and far better uh, than uh, a successful life and business and a million in the bank. You were created to know God. 
That's what life is all about. That is the reason for your existence. And the thing is, sin has separated us from God. And while we are looking for satisfaction and joy in this world, we will always be left feeling empty. I uh, enjoyed hearing a, a man tell about uh, someone he knew who, who became a Christian. This was a man who, uh, back in the 80s, he was the chief executive, I think that was his position, of Coca-Cola in Canada. He ran the whole show there, and uh, he, he wasn't short of a dollar or two. This man, uh, money was no object to him. And yet there was just this, uh, just this discontent in his soul. His wife said to him one time, she says, you're looking miserable. She says, you look miserable. away and buy yourself a new car. So just as you do when you're feeling a bit down, he went and bought himself a new car. And he drove this lovely new car up his big long driveway, parked it outside his big house. And he said, I got out of the car and looked at it and waited to get happy didn't happen. So he uh, bought an ice hockey team. He didn't buy ice hockey boots. He didn't buy an ice hockey stick. He bought a professional ice hockey team. Thought that would fill the void, give him purpose. And yet it left him empty. It didn't fulfill. It didn't fit. And uh, as he was pondering this, he was wondering, why is it? Why is it I'm feeling like this? He got an invitation uh, to go along to uh, a series of gospel meetings. Should have said, you might remember, the wee advertising tagline for Coca-Cola back then was the real thing. The real thing. So anyway, he gets this invitation to go along to these meetings. And he went along. And he learned this that the reason why this world couldn't satisfy him was because he was created for something bigger. He was created for God. And he was separated from God because of his sin. And that's the reason the Lord Jesus came into this world, to deal with the problem of sin, to remove the barrier that sin has created, to span the divide that sin has caused, and to reconcile us to God. And he came to Christ, turned in repentance to the Lord Jesus. His sins were forgiven. He was reconciled to God. He'd find what he was looking for. And when, after a few weeks, those meetings came to a conclusion, he said to the preacher on the last night, he says at these meetings, I find the real thing. I find the real thing. You see, this man here, for all that he had, he still was wanting more. He was wanting something this world couldn't give. He wasn't satisfied. And also, he, he wasn't secure. You know, I say, well, a man like that, he's bound to be secure. You know, he, he wasn't worrying where his next meal was coming from. He wasn't worried about inflation. He, he was financially secure. Yes, financially secure. For this world, he was secure. But he must have recognized this. There's a world beyond this world. Just to go back to the book of Ecclesiastes again, it tells us there in chapter 3 that God has placed eternity 
in the hearts of men. So that we know that this world is not all there is. Death is not the end. Friends, there is a great big world beyond this one that goes on and on forever. There will be no end to your existence. And this man recognized something we all recognize. Not only is there an eternity to face, but there is a judgment to come. God has given us a conscience so that we know that we have done wrong. We recognize that we are guilty before him. And as this man reflected on those things that God has stamped in the hard drive of every human being. There is a God. There is an eternity. There is a judgment. I'm a sinner. He was longing for an answer to this. So he went on his quest there to Jerusalem. That brings me to the second treasure. Uh, that is the treasure of Scripture. Uh, he got a treasure in Jerusalem, far more valuable than all the treasures of Ethiopia. He got uh, a portion of the Bible. He got the book of Isaiah. And uh, he's reading the book of Isaiah on, <coughs> on his way home in the chariot. And, uh, well, he certainly would have learned a lot about the problem of sin as he read the book of Isaiah. And he would have recognized this is, this is the problem. It's my sin that has separated me from God. My sin has taken me away from the creator. God is holy and I'm not. And he would have learned about the seriousness of sin. Because of course the book of Isaiah describes for us the reality of God's hatred of sin. The fact of God's judgment against it. The reality of hell. Yes, as he read the book of Isaiah, he would have read a lot about the awful problem of sin. But then he came to chapter 53. And there he read an amazing passage about the answer to the problem of sin. What, what is the answer to the problem of sin? Well, the answer to the problem is not doing better. The answer isn't trying harder. The answer isn't church or religion. Think about the problem. The problem is we have broken God's law. And God's righteousness demands that our sin be punished. So what's the answer? Friends, the only answer is found in a substitute. That's the only answer. One who is able and willing to step into the place of the guilty, to bear the penalty, to take the punishment for us so that we can go free. And that's what Isaiah 53 is all about. It tells us about one who became the great substitute for sinners, the great sacrifice for sin. It says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment to bring us peace was on him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And as he's reading about this one who stepped in to deal with the problem, to pay the price, what he's wanting to know is this. Who is this? This sounds like what I'm looking for. Here's one who has provided an answer to the problem. Here's one who is the answer to the problem. So he asks the question, who's the prophet speaking about? I need to know who this is. Who is the prophet speaking about? You read that passage, Isaiah 53. You read about uh, someone known for his sympathy and known for his sorrow. And yet he's, he's rejected by his people, condemned at an unjust trial, led to uh, execution, suffers with criminals, brutally disfigured, buried in association with a rich man, rises from the dead. Who's the prophet speaking about? There's only one the prophet could be speaking about. There's only one person in the whole world, who fits that profile, who matches the description that the prophet gave. And that's why Philip, at the same scripture, preached unto him Jesus. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who matches this description. He's the one who did what the prophet said he would do. He's the one who came from heaven. He took punishment he didn't deserve. For sins he didn't commit. He hadn't broken the law. There was no sin in him. And yet he willingly, lovingly, stepped into history, became part of the human family so that he could act as our representative. And pay the penalty for us so that we could go free. And he paid the penalty in full. And as proof of that, God raised him from the dead. And so the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ was not only the answer to the man's question. Who's the prophet speaking about? The Lord Jesus was the answer to the man's quest. Right? Here's how I can have satisfaction. Here's how I can have security. Here's how I can know peace in my heart, contentment in my soul. And the man believed and received the answer to his problem. He recognized that the Lord Jesus is the answer. The Lord Jesus is the one that I need. And he accepted that. And that led him in then to the, the third and final treasure, which is the treasure of salvation. You see, he got baptized. That was to, just to, an indication, a profession of the fact that I now belong to Christ. I'm his. He's mine. Uh, I'm a Christian. And my faith is in the one who died and rose again. And uh, he, he, he got a treasure that this world can't give a treasure this world can't take a treasure that will never be lost a treasure that will never be devalued uh, 
It's not affected by inflation. Uh, it, the, the stock markets have no impact upon it. It survives the collapse of the stock market. It'll survive the collapse of the universe. It'll survive the impact of death. Treasure salvation. And that treasure is yours for the asking. It's there for the taking. See, the Lord Jesus has provided salvation for you. And if you recognize the problem of sin and are prepared to accept that the Lord Jesus is the answer, well, then that treasure could be yours if you would just come to Christ. That's what this man did. And uh, the story ends with him on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing. Uh, and he still is. 2,000 years later, he's still rejoicing. Right? Because the joy that salvation gives is a joy that lasts not just for a lifetime. It's a joy that lasts for eternity. wonder what you'll be doing 2,000 years from now. wonder will you be rejoicing in salvation? Or will you be remembering all the opportunities you had to get it, but you missed it? Will you be thinking about all those offers that you refused, those opportunities that you wasted? You will be doing something somewhere 2,000 years from now. will not be here. Each one of us will be in eternity. It depends on what you do with the Lord Jesus. I love to hear about people being saved. I love to hear about people coming to Christ. I would love to hear of someone getting saved this evening. If you're not saved, why not here? Why not now? As we pray, may it be you'll come to Christ. Our God and Father, we pray for thy blessing upon thy word. We thank thee for the reality of the gospel. We praise thee for the Lord Jesus. And we give thanks that he offers himself to sinners here this evening as the savior that they need. We pray that they will uh, turn to him, that they will come to him and trust him for themselves. We pray thy blessing as we commit us to thee in the Lord's name.